Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. My name is David Angel, and today I'm joined by Nisha Rajamani, an experienced media agency professional currently working with Dentsu in Melbourne, and more recently, a member of the Media Federation of Australia's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisory Council which is a lot to say, but it's an important role. Welcome, Nisha, and uh, thank you for joining me. Hello. Thank you for having me. That was a long <laughs> mouthful to fit in from a description perspective. Well, you've got a, you've got a, lot, yes. I've got a lot to say about yes. you. What can I, what can I tell you? <laughs> Thanks. Um, look, let's let's start with, with your role on, on the MFA, which is, you know, which is really, it's a critical thing that they're, that they're doing in the industry, of course. And we've known each other for many years now, and we've worked together for a number of them. But we haven't had much of a chance to catch up since you took this position on on the advisory council. Um, how did it come about, and, and what were your primary motivations for joining? Hey, this is a really good week to have this conversation. It is indeed with IWD <laughs> with, happening. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, how did it come about? There's a lot actually that has gone into this. It's kind of been building up over time. I think multiple elements: my upbringing across international cities, family circumstances, work environment, opportunity. Uh, the seed of it, though, I would say is really from migration. So my family migrated from Singapore to Adelaide in 1991. I was one of only two Indian kids at our primary school of 500 plus children. And I experienced racism, as many did and continue to do today. Um, but as an adult, the side effect of this is that I have constantly modified my individuality with this focus on fitting in, on assimilation. And this meant when I started my media career, I purposefully modelled my accent on Julia Gillard. At the time, I thought she was the best representation of true blue Aussie. And I would literally stand in front of the mirror and say, my name, my name, <laughs> and just practice it. And it's wow. funny, right? And that in itself is probably not appropriate now, but I was just trying to fit in. And you do this and then you think you've got it. And I rolled it out to all the old school media reps and I'd often feel like I was, hey, I'm winning. I tricked you into thinking I was the same as you. And then it dawned on me many years later that I had actually also slowly tricked myself out of my cultural heritage because it doesn't stop at the accent. Suddenly I didn't want to wear a salwar to the shop, so I didn't want others to let me speak Tamil to my parents. You know, I would say to my mum, oh, can't you just say that in English? Like, why are you speaking in Tamil and Woolies? And it just cascades from there. Um, and so fast-forwarding to more recent days, in 2020 actually during lockdown, um, it was NAIDOC week. The Cox and All team at Dentsu, so they're the uh, Indigenous specialists at Dentsu, hosted a number of virtual events for participation, one of which was an Indigenous dance workshop where we learnt to tell stories with movement and so forth. It was a really grounding experience and really made me think about what it takes to hold on to cultural heritage. And I thought of the fact that Indians celebrate Independence Day, um, which is when the British actually left India, and it took that nation, like it seriously took them more than 50 years post getting independence to go through this process of reclaiming their identity. And the big representation of that is the change of names of the cities. I talk about this a lot, but, mm. you know, like Madras became Chennai and Bombay became Mumbai and, and so forth. 
And I likened that to Australia's first peoples. And they are also trying to reclaim their identity, you know, the names of their lands, um, fight for the rights of their people, but they're doing it whilst we are all still here, the migrant population. Like we, we are not the invading population, but for them, they're still trying to find their way and manage all of this whilst everybody is still here. And so that just made me realise the importance of all everything, you know, acknowledgement to countries, RAP programs, um, you know, more serious things like education for Indigenous children, not just for all the changes that those programs actually make, but for the representation, the signals that we're sending out to the community on what is important. So anyway, all of this is in my head and I asked CK, one of our leaders at Densu, if I could work more with that team that organised that cultural event. And then I was introduced to Densu DNI Council, so I'm also on that, I was on that mm. first, um, and learnt about the full scope of DNI work. And actually on that, we digress, but I think we have this um, tendency to limit DNI work to like let's have a cultural celebration or like you know talking about minority yeah. groups and it's that's so limiting. There's so much scope and depth in it. Um, and when you start to look at all the different um, different streams uh, between, actually, it won't go through all of them, but there's there's just a lot a lot to cover. And um, from my perspective, I also had our watch who is a client. Um, and they're a women's advocacy group, and they have taught me a lot on, uh, you know, equality. They, they do a lot of campaigns on gender discrimination and also education, like how to speak up when you witness discrimination and things. So with all of this in my head, when the MFA decided to launch the DNI Council, they asked each agency group, who, you know, would you like to put forward? Um, and so I was put forward along with a colleague from Sydney. So in total, there was 14 of us from different agencies selected to represent the industry. Mm. And we haven't looked back since. Well, that is an amazing answer. It really is. <laughs> I feel and, like and I've just talked at you. <laughs> well, no, not at all. I mean, I was just, I was listening to your, I mean, you've, you've told a story there, not just answered a question. And, and um, whilst I, my, you know, I, your Julia Gillard, impression made me made, oh, me, made me laugh sorry julia if you're um, listening i apologize <laughs> no, i mean it, it, the julia gillard impression made me laugh momentarily but but um i actually feel you know I, i've known you for how long nearly 15 years and, and it yep. actually makes me feel quite sad some of some of that some of your story there i'm hearing that for the first time um you, the, you, the need you felt to assimilate yourself yeah. and su almost suppress your own cultural identity to some extent that's a that's actually accurate wording and so that's one of the reasons one of the most important reasons I joined this whole thing with MFA was because I don't want others to have to go through what I did to fit in you don't have to do that anymore you shouldn't have had to do it to start with but you know um, from an industry perspective we're so much more receptive and open to, to welcoming everybody and mm. you know approaching this correctly so hopefully we, we make that difference well, I was going to say, it, it, like I'm listening to your story and thinking, okay, I, I'm guessing that I've obviously not had direct experience of this myself, but I'm guessing that um, you you wouldn't be alone in this and um, in, in feeling these things and, and taking these steps to try and yeah put yourself into a I'm career. I'm sure I'm not. Um, so you know, these are the the, the scope and depth of um, D E and I, as you rightly say, extends way beyond. The surface. There's a yes. lot of depth there, right? Um, yes, but also we 
like we're agency people. We have to get this right. We're an agency based on consumer behaviour. And unless we're embracing all of DE&I properly, our briefs, analyses, research tools, therefore the recommendations to brands, everything, nothing is actually accurate. It will all exclude significant segments of our population and there is an overall like lack of intersectionality and only some recognition of gender, cultural or age diversity, you know, in, in everything that we do. Everything is a bit half-assed. Can I say that? Yes, you can <laughs> yeah. say that. Um, if that's your opinion, you can say that. It's an adult Unfortunately, podcast, yes. Um, and so I just think addressing that diversity and inclusion piece across the industry from hiring policies right through to our consumer tools will ensure a a proper, truer representation of Australians and just bring out better recommendations from agencies and therefore the cascading effect there, better better um, uh, for brands and then ultimately for consumers yes. in the end. Yes, I can see the flow and effect, absolutely. And look, I think it's a good segue into uh, talking about, the, you know, the other reason that this is a timely uh, podcast <laughs> is that, is that I think it was last week, correct me if I'm wrong, I saw it about five or six days ago, the MFA launched its own DE&I strategy, yes, officially yes. launched, I should say, because you've obviously been working on it for quite some time and making noises about it in the market. Um, but, you know, as, I, as, I, as I've read it, the, the objectives, as I, as I see it, were articulated over a three-year plan, year one being about awareness and education and engagement, and year two being about attraction and development of talent, and year three being about real change being seen by a measurement, um, you you sort. I mean, your opinions have unpacked this a bit, but can you, with the MFA specifically, can you unpack this a bit for us? You know, what are the, some of the the key strategies employed to achieve these aims, and, and how are they de- developed? Yeah, I I can. And um, look, I was quite surprised when we started when we all joined that committee. They'd done a lot of pre work before they went to market. Um, you know, to even source the kind of agency representatives. So before the advisory council was set up, the MFA led by the board of directors, Amy Buchanan Melfane, researched and consulted about the best practice for DNI across the world and locally. So this has taken, I'm sure, like over six months. They consulted with the IPA, which is our equivalent in the UK, you probably know, mm-hmm. um, who have already set up their DNI a few years ago, their council. A DNI expert here who had experience consulting with other corporates and industry bodies, um, the Diversity Council of Australia, and then also researched the DNI journey that our agencies were at and their progress. Um, and their challenge was to determine the industry's role versus the agency brands. And so this strategy uh, was then approved by the MFA board. So year one being about awareness, education, and engagement. And, and look, to be honest, when I first joined, I was like, awareness, really, this is a fluffy <laughs> objective, but it's not. And once you're in there and you understand from the research how much of a lack of awareness there is, you can't, you can't really shift the dial until you've addressed that. So we understood that many agencies had recruited more diverse people, um, but what happened was that our people structure, the culture, not everything was set up for them and so they ended up leaving. And the support that they needed from the people they work with to their office set up and everything had to be addressed. And so the council set up over a year ago, what they learned is that you're not aware of how others feel if you don't understand their lived experience. It's the same as when you have someone in your family who's very ill and no one understands until you share or have had that lived experience yourself. 
And so year one for MFA is ensuring that everyone in our industry is educated and made aware or at least conscious of their bias. And then the industry focus is on sharing lived stories, which you would have seen um, a lot on in that launch last week. Mm. And especially during key dates, you know, educating via all of their um all of their consumer-facing angles, like from NGEN to MFA, 5 Plus, um, and also the SBS inclusion program, which was super generous of SBS because it's quite an in-depth piece. I'm not paid by them <laughs> to say this, but <laughs> they are, it's a, a really impressive kind of uh, training platform that they've put together. So then we also, they held that leadership panel and an inclusion workshop prior to this industry launch and so that that's sort of the background work. Year two, the focus is on, um, well, they're working on that now, so working with agencies to set up partnership pipelines, like the SBS being one example, and providing recruitment resources. Year three is about real change from measurement. So the goal is to be more aligned to the Australian population. It's actually quite simple if you look mm-hmm. at it that way. And we uh, started measuring via Media Eye in 2020, so we now have more than 12 months of data. So by 2024, we would like to see the measurement shift and uh, also particularly love this quote uh, um, from this lady, Leela. Uh, so she says, data is the first thing you look at but the last thing to change. So she, Leela Siddiqui is the leading diversity charge for the IPA. And so the true scope of opportunity for us in DNI is industry-wide because it can significantly impact your interactions with each other but also how we work with our brands and when education is the first step, then we can start to define what types of initiatives fall under DNI and I and how everyone in the industry, regardless of their level, especially, can still affect the progress and, and give give DNI to people on the floor, if that makes sense, and not just be this tick box thing that comes comes from the top. Um, and so then hopefully you bring in this cycle of education, learning, implementation in stages, and then there's a nice loop of growth um, and then continuous development. <coughs> I love the way you are. T- I mean, that's a first- very long answer. Well, well no, look, you're really you're you're giving a really good um, articulation of the of the ocean of depth that, that is here, and it's really interesting. Your first comment was, "Well, the first year is about awareness, really," and then you, you unpack that beyond. Yep. You know, you've got this surface level of um, DEI is good. Tick. Yeah. <laughs> racism is racism is bad. <laughs> tick. Sexism is well, bad. Let's tick. Talk about the basics. Don't abuse Correct. people in the office. Tick. Um, you know, but but that's. Um, there is an ocean, I mean, talking about things like lived experience and being aware of your own biases. And we haven't even touched on people with disabilities. We haven't touched on, and we were touched no. on Indigenous people earlier on, we haven't touched on LBDGTQI people. I mean, it's like there's so much to to unpack. No, and, can... and look, when we say we haven't, I, I haven't because my uh, knowledge and education in that space still has a lot to grow. But Certainly, from an MFA perspective, like our DNI council, we do have people leading those work streams who have expertise in that, yes. whose lived experiences will come to the forefront more. But as an industry, you're right. We have this like it's low hanging fruit. So gender gender equity is in the media a lot, and there are sort of and I I don't I don't want to simplify this by saying easy to address, but there are some things that are um, more in the spotlight, and you know you could look at pay parity and secondary care leaves and all, all of that falls into gender equity, but it's much harder to address those kinds of things because they're not so easy to spot for mm. disability or, um, yeah, any, any of the other work streams, neurodiversity, um, 
So, yes. Yeah. I'm going to take some of I mean, I, I thought when I read through the, the strategy on the MFA website, I was really... I was really impressed with the video base, the, the course base. I mean, you can do courses, right? You can mm. literally do courses, and and um, I would assume it's talking to a lot of what you've just articulated about um, about lived experiences and biases and and how to how to educate yourself. It's good that they're giving the tools to do that, um, yes, as opposed to just saying, yes, this is how you should and it's be. very applicable. In you sort of do one course and then you come out of it and then you might go into a meeting and you go, oh, that person just said that or I'm thinking this and that's not right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, it's very but applicable. consciousness of your own Conscious, biases. It's We've just awareness. Them. It's We've just self-awareness. Yeah. 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 Well, let's let's talk a little bit, um, pivot back to, to you a bit. Um, you know, you, you're you're very experienced in, in the media agency world and you're a woman and you're a person of colour and, you know, what and, and with a diverse ethnic background, what what... what are some of your standout personal experiences, either good or bad, in the industry? Mm. I I think I have been lucky to never have experienced directly racism or sexism, nothing, any discrimination because I was a woman or Indian, as far as I am aware. Um, however, what did impact me most in early years was the lack of diversity in the industry, which then contributed to that forced assimilation that we spoke about Um because the seeds were already there from from childhood. And, you know, I mentioned briefly about changing my accent. At the first agency where I worked in an entry-level position, my friends would joke about training me on how to be Australian, like teaching words and pronunciation. And at the time, I was okay with this. This is in a media agency. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't see it as racist, but, you know, I saw it I saw it as um, if you went to a new town or like a when in Rome type thing, you know, you you would ask a Frenchman how to teach pronounce something correctly in in French if you were in Paris. And so I kind of likened it to that. But um, I could still feel a lack of connection with the media reps and then went that step further in in changing who I was and learning to say mate in a conversation casually and ignoring the fact that my name was often misspelt or mispronounced. I used to get Nisha with an ER. (laughs) I don't know how, but we do that as Aussies. I think we add ER to things. Um, But it was mispronounced so confidently that I never had the heart to correct anybody. So as a junior in the industry, I just never addressed a lot of these micro incidences. But the result is this transition was, you know, of this transition to fit in was an overcorrection from my part, which then led to a real disconnect with my heritage and my culture and my family, which I'm now trying to address because I see it in my children. And my mm. son says, I need some water. And my dad will say, what is he asking for? And I'll say, it's water, daddy, like pronunciation. And it's from small things like that to, you know, to, to a lot of things. It's, there's <laughs> This component is kind of a never-ending conversation. But from a media perspective, I think the lack of cultural diversity was quite significant. Even in the early 2000s, there were not many Southeast Asians in media, you know, and meeting another person from an ethnic background was quite uncommon. And this is definitely, I have to say, changed with time as the Aussie population changed and the industry has reflected this. So I'm also heartened to see the diversity changes, although we still have work to do from an inclusion perspective. Um, And actually on that note, from an inclusion perspective, now that I think about it, I have experienced um, some discrimination that I would say now falls into gender discrimination. But there was a stage in my career where I worked for a small agency and at that point I was the only parent with a young child 
trying to pretend I wasn't. And the agency culture was very male-dominated, very much work hard defined by late nights and play hard defined by lots of drinking. And as a parent with a toddler at home, you just can't manage any of that. And the disconnect was significant and I would be embarrassed that my hours in the office were not aligned with others. Working from home was never discussed as an option and this really impacted my ability to lead with confidence, the quality of work, the client satisfaction and also my family balance. And so from this low point I had clarity on what good should look like and I returned post-maternity leave with a second child to a to a completely different world at Cara. And so that there was a whole flexible working arrangement facilitated for me by my manager there and, and look and Dentsu as a whole before flexible working was a thing post-COVID. Um, and, you know, we just addressed this issue where, you know, I was doing three days but my nanny would always cancel and the whole week would fall apart and everyone would scramble to rearrange meetings and my manager just said, just work whatever hours you can, just, you know, get rid of the nanny, do your own school runs and, you know, I'll see you when I see you. And it was great and it worked. So we fired the nanny and (laughs) I did my own school runs and, you know, yes, I might not be present at 10 o'clock in the morning because I would have gotten to do a parent-teacher interview, but then you log on at 7 o'clock and you finish something. And it's a give and take. It's not this perfect thing in a contract that we go, yes, you now have flexible working. And so that's been really nice to see. And I see that now in lots of agencies and even publishers and networks. And, you know, I see, I hear about um, shared GSM roles, um, part-time shared roles in senior levels. And I think we're definitely moving in a really positive, positive space. I think in that, in that, um, what the, the last part of what you talked about there, yes, I think so. And 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 have, I have two young kids myself, and mm. I have a wife who works full time, and and you know has had to juggle these things, and has had some similar experiences. Um, and I think, and I, I think we've all had our own biases when we didn't have kids, regardless of being male <laughs> or female. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not having kids. Sometimes you just you do not see, no, uh, or understand or comprehend. Yeah. But. More broadly, I think, I mean, it's, it's fascinating listening to you talk because, you know, like I say, I've known you for a long time and the lay, you're, you're talking from a perspective of experience now that you didn't have when you were, when you were entering the industry, of, obviously, but life experience as well as just professional Are you calling experience. me old? <laughs> uh, in a roundabout way, yes, and maybe I need to go on the ages course. Oh, no. However old you get, you'll never be as old as me. So, you know, don't don't stress that. I'm I'm certainly older than you are. But um Good I, save. And I look older too. But um I, I think um you know that that's fascinating. What would you tell the young Nisha? What would you what would you say to yourself? Um looking oh, back. Oh gosh, who gives a shit what other people think? That's yeah. what I would say. Oh, this like thing with fitting in and people pleasing it's so do you know what's interesting though we digress again but um I am you know was facilitated access to this wonderful coach um from Dentsu and they she has helped me define some language around this and she calls us third culture kids where you fit everywhere but nowhere at the same time and she talked about how cultural uh, backgrounds influence that people pleasing nature and um how you just don't say no <laughs> yeah. because of, you know, some cultures it's not in them to say no because it's considered very rude. And if you're brought up in that, you're never going to openly then, you know, push back on anything um, and everything you do is about 
acceptance and and keeping the other party happy in a negotiation. Uh, so yes, so I would now say to my younger self a lot of that information <laughs> that I have, yeah. and and just just to to take it easy and, and be yourself, which seems really simplistic but hard to do. I think. I think definitely easier to say mm. and hard to do, and that applies to all sorts. Of, as we've discussed, Everybody. all sorts of individuals and yes. with, with all sorts of um, different backgrounds. Um, let's talk a bit about the, the future of DE and I. You know, the topic is certainly getting a lot of airplay now, and I, but I think we've sort of articulated this all the way through. It's fair to say there are, there's words, there's actions, and then there's sort of continuing day-to-day realities that we've we've talked to. Um, aside from the MFA and thinking of the broader marketing and advertising industry, on a scale of one to 10, where do you think we are on the on a broad sort of continuation, uh, yeah, change continuum? Or is that even too simple a question to ask? I don't know. What, what, what else do you see out there that's great and, and what specifically really needs to change and fast for things to improve yeah. on a sort of red button type of issue? Oh, God, I don't know what's a red... Everything's important, isn't it? Okay, so it's one is, of yeah. those... Uh, I think media is quite a unique space because we're very... In one... I say this because we're very similar to the broader Australian workplace from a, you know, gender roles perspective. Like when you look at early 90s, early 2000s, where ratio of women in senior roles on boards representing sporting environments, et cetera, were very low. So media industry was aligned with broader Australian industries on that. And at the time too, it would have been typical for like GSMs and sales directors to be older white men and sales reps and managers assistants to be women. And it was accepted for media assistants to be at reception or set up rooms and get coffee. And that's what you did. But credit to the industry, our industry, we have also been really quick to understand discrimination, spot it, adapt positively to change. There are women leaders across almost every media agency group now. Um, I think as an industry, we can confidently say that the pay parity is something that every agency and publisher is actively monitoring or reviewing. There's initiatives on gender equity, pride, cultural equity, First Nations recognitions, ableism, and more recently neurodiversity. Everything's being progressed, but at different stages um, across most companies. It's really difficult to place this progress on a scale because the DNI streams are all at different stages of progress. Mm. So I think gender equity, we talked about the low fruit, low hanging fruit before, gets a lot of focus around parental leave or better supporting, you know, childcare and job share and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, other streams are more complicated. And so a lot of agencies are doing things like progressing rap programs and making efforts to properly acknowledge our first peoples, but there are gaps everywhere. We pat ourselves on the back for progressing cultural equity because we celebrate, I'm making this up, but you know, we celebrate Lunar New Year with our colleagues, but then we don't how to we don't learn how to pronounce their names correctly. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we, we all acknowledge the lands we are on in presentations, but when we don't dedicate dedicate resources to rap programs. I, that stuff takes a lot more work than I ever realised or appreciated. Um, so it's a complicated space. I actually had a conversation recently where we talked about um, providing teams the option to choose their public holiday. So I could, for example, choose to celebrate um, Diwali mm-hmm. and give up uh, Christmas, yeah. um, which on paper was great, but then you look into it and you go, hang on, I'm not just Indian, I'm Indian Australian and Christmas is as important to me as is Diwali and technically I want both. I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. Well, that's just a plea for more holiday. And and hang on, that's not even the half of it. What happens to you 
who get Christmas, but you don't celebrate Diwali. And so why should I get more public holidays yeah, than you? Because, right? I feel discriminated it's, against. And it's a, it's a really, it's a really complicated <laughs> space. Is. And so I don't think it's fair to put the industry on a continuum because everybody's trying and that's what we can ask for and learning. And the only, and the, the best thing about being in this actually as a, uh, an older person <laughs> is that you are unlearning things. It's I think it's almost easier to learn it right the first way. So there's hope for, you know, the the new industry entrance now. But when you've grown up doing things the wrong way um, in the industry and then having to learn to uh, you know undo that and then approach it the right way, um, I think that's going to take more time. Um, and we just have to be mindful and kind about that. But um, I think I think a lot of you know, there's so much power in empathy, and and you're you're just you're just demonstrating empathy just then. I mean, you you said kind, but I think you know em- empathy is really really important, and um, yes, it, that works both ways. Um, yeah. Old white men like me do still exist, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, and um, you know, it's I think it's important to have empathy on 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 all sides without being too ridiculous about it. You know, of course. Um, uh, there is need for D and I. There's no doubt about it, and, and of course, things still need to be improved. Um, but I worry sometimes about the combative nature. It's really of, of combative, debate. and we spoke about this just before we started. But you know, I um, I really uh, benefited from hearing from Dr. Susan Carland at IWD this week. So she was the first speaker I heard in a series of speakers this week, mm. and she spoke about having grace in our interactions and not being so binary, like you're a feminist, how can you have children or you're Muslim? How can you teach feminism? That's something that she faces. Yeah. And um, it's it's important to remember that we are just all still learning and we need to provide this safe non-judgment space for that to, to foster growth and understanding. Um and, you know, you also asked me, you know, there's there's action and there's real action and where are we on that change? I want to think of this as a media campaign. You know, can't take the media out of the girl. <laughs> <laughs> so we are we are probably at early stages on, on the continuum, I'd say like a three out of ten. Schedule version where one. The, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where, the um where the awareness I think is just picking up and some mm. key messages have better engagement than others. And then we still need to build up that awareness across all the work streams um, and you know, lead people into education before we can build consideration and trial because once they trial it, I really think that we will never go back to how things were. Mm. Yeah, let's, let's hope so. Um, all right, well, look, you mentioned that you can't take the media out of the girl. I can't take the media out of you either. So I'm gonna, I'm, I, we, should, we should change gear a bit and talk about what's, what's big in me. I mean, you're working with Cara. Yeah. Um, an agency that... I mean, like many others, has seen a lot of changes, and I'm talking commercially now as well as as well as of with course, DNI yep. and everything else. Um, as a media professional, you know, what are the hot buttons for you? And know, a media leader, what are the hot buttons for you right now? What do agencies and marketers need to get their head around in the media space? Ah, uh, good question. So everybody is talking about data still yes still still <laughs> and everybody the, is the dawn of still, time but still yes. talking about knowing the consumer best and yeah. you know it would be remiss of me to talk, not talk about injecting the DNI piece into that um yes, because actually there was a really good um who shared this somebody shared a really good post from Sir Martin Sorrell recently and he's basically said um 
he talks about the fact that we're all losing our identity a little bit because we're all either getting too big and um, and I think there there is a bit of that. We're all trying to do everything and it would I think there's a little bit of got to get back to basics mm-hmm. and um, think about like look at the floor and think about how we can truly bring some of that D&I work into our teams and our consumer and our tools and all the basic things that it should be there and then we can take it to the clients and say, hey, you're lacking in these spaces, this is what it should look like. And, uh, you know, we're so focused on, um, uh, you know, how many other things can we get in front of the client before uh, it's too late, you know, so they can buy into more more products yes. and none of them, are, not not all of them are often, you know, at their full potential, if that makes sense. So I think there is a bit of getting back to basics to happen here. And this is the first year post-COVID we're probably all fully back, getting back into the office and learning how this hybrid working thing is going to happen. A lot of new offices don't even have the space for everybody if everybody turned up on the same day (laughs) into to work. So I think that whole concept of grace and just taking it one step at a time really has to apply this year and just coming back to basics. That's what I think is the hot button. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And um, I think that's a, I think that's a really good place to leave it. And we've talked, we've talked about so much um, and uh, you're almost your life story in media. Oh God, I, mean, I know. Like, <laughs> I knew some of it, but not all of it. Um, but um, I think, um, Look, I, I, I wish you and the MFA all the best with the DNI. Um, I think it's a great initiative. I think there are some great tools on there. I encourage everybody to go and look at that website. Whether you're in media or not, actually, frankly, yes, go, I go think and it's have a open. look at, yep. the, at that website because there are some really interesting um, things on there that, 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 you, can, that you can explore. Um, and let's all just continue educating ourselves. I think it's a, I think it's a, great, I think it's a great position to take. So thank you again, and um, well, maybe we'll get some lunch now. What do you think? Sounds great. <laughs>